This is Cornstalks and Sports Talk, your go-to Iowa-based sports show, hosted by the one and only Elliot Clough. What's up, Cedar Valley, and hello to the Hawkeye State. This is Cornstalks and Sports Talk, your Iowa-based sports show, hosted by me, UNI Insider for Town Square Media, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter. We got great stuff ahead on today's show. Randy Reinhardt, Redbird football beat writer from the Pantograph in Bloomington, Illinois, joins us to preview that homecoming game between UNI and Illinois State at 4 p.m. today in the Dome. Hopefully, we'll be able to see Kurt Warner at that contest. He and his wife will be the VIPs of the homecoming parade, but they will also be in attendance for a few other things going on this weekend. Of course, they were there for the R tomorrow campaign kickoff last night on campus and so very excited for that I'm going to see what I can do to get an interview with him this morning and then Scott Ritchie from the News Gazette in Champaign Illinois will be joining us to preview that Iowa versus Illinois game happening today as well so battle of the two Midwest states this weekend in those two games I don't know about you if there are any Hawkeye fans out there I would be nervous going into that one against the Fighting Illini. Scott's going to tell us why here in just a few on Cornstalks and Sports Talk on AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com. But first, we have been mixing it up a little bit recently, especially in these first segments on Cornstalks and Sports Talk. So today I want to go a little national once again and talk about what is at the forefront of the sports world right now, or at least it was yesterday people are asking questions video surfaced and so we're gonna get into it that video I'm talking about of course is Draymond Green punching Jordan Poole in practice TMZ released that video they obtained it I'm sure they paid a Warriors film person to get that and it's all it was all over Twitter uh, yesterday Uh, went completely viral memes like crazy of course and first of all we all heard about it, but but the video, like I said, obtained by TMZ. Somebody on the Warriors film staff leaked that, obviously. You have to imagine the person or or people that did are, are going to get fired. I, I think that's the only solution uh, to that problem because what else are they going to leak, right? And I think it's it's incredibly telling for whoever did release it that they won't or they don't really want to be successful and further their career in the NBA in terms of the film or, or coaching or whatever, they should be fired in my opinion. And I, I saw somebody on, on Twitter say, well, I bet they got paid more than the warrior staff pays them on a regular basis. Well, fine, but it's about the long game and it's about individual responsibility, not blaming anybody else for what you did. Sorry. Anyway, Going forward on this story, I saw this on Twitter, but I haven't been able to find it again today. I don't have a subscription to The Athletic, but as far as I know, this is from The Athletic. It could be wrong, but it's in the same vein of what we do know happened. Supposedly, Poole has been joking a lot about this new extension he's probably going to get, saying something like he's going to have a pool at his house and his name's Jordan Poole, so he's going to call it the Goat Pool or something like that really stupid joke and he won't shut shut up about it and I mean he's gonna get paid I mean the the Tyler Hero contract extension for those of you who don't know the the, he's from Wisconsin so maybe that maybe that helps you get an idea of of who he is and and went on to play at Kentucky he's become more famous for playing for Miami of course but he just signed a contract for four years 130 million dollars and Jordan Poole is better than Tyler Hero in my humble opinion I don't think Tyler Hero is very good 
Uh, and, and so I'm assuming he's going to get paid close to or the same amount that Tyler Hero got. And you can see Jordan Poole being the guy who talks about that all the time and won't shut up about it. Like you just watch his mannerisms on the court and and what he's been like in in press conferences. And on top of that, which we were, we were going to plan on getting this in in a little bit, but I'm going to hit it now. Apparently. Clay Thompson participated in a three-point contest against Jordan Poole in Japan recently for some event, and Clay said it feels good to humble Jordan Poole. So that's a, a bit of an indication as to who who this guy is. I I think we've all been around this type of athlete who won't stop talking about themselves and thinks of themselves as God's gift to the earth because they've had a good. I don't know, few months at this game. They're really cocky and annoying, and the only people that are around them or are around them kind of want to feed off that energy and hype them up in order to, I don't know, get some of that supposed glory. And and then once they fall off in terms of talent or 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 their ability to play the sport, everybody just stops hanging out with them because they suck as a person. And I get that vibe from Jordan Poole. I can't confirm that. I don't cover the Warriors, but that's the vibe I get. And I think that's fair. And I think anybody who covers the NBA or is around the Warriors or or watches the NBA regularly would probably agree with that. Now, in regards to Draymond, this type of thing, not necessarily with it getting physical, has, has kind of happened on a regular basis with Draymond Green. This is just who he is at this point. Like, let's let's start six years back, seven years back in that final, I think it was six years ago, in that 2016 finals where the Warriors gave up that 3-1 to lead and he kicked LeBron in the, in the nuts, in the groin, in the nuts, whatever you want to call it. Totally unnecessarily in the finals when the Warriors had that lead. They lost the following game because he was suspended, and I think the Warriors would have won that title had that not happened. And then after that finals, he texts Kevin Durant and tries to get him to go, go to Golden State. Ultimately, Kevin Durant does do that. And then after a few years of them all being together in a scuffle, Draymond tells Kevin Durant that they didn't need him because they had already won before without him. Yeah, uh, that's just it's just who Draymond and, and on top of that, when Paul Pierce was doing the the retire thing where he was going around and trying to get some sort of, I don't know, appreciation towards the end of his career, he wasn't getting the love that Kobe got. And Draymond was talking to him on the sideline saying, you thought you was Kobe? You know, it's just umpteen other things. And now this. Uh, with with Draymond. Of course, we're talking about the altercation with Draymond Green and Jordan Poole happening earlier this week, at least the news breaking this week, and then the video coming out yesterday on Twitter. Uh, and uh, we're talking all about that here on Cornstalks and Sports Talk on AM 950, KOEL and com. So ultimately, what I'm getting at here is the laundry list continues to add up for who Draymond is. The Warriors say they're going to uh, punish, not punish in quotes, him internally or reprimand him internally, which good. I, I'm sure that they may fine him. They may suspend him for a few games in the regular season or something. But this is who Draymond is, and this is what's going to keep happening, and the Warriors know it. And I'm sure some of the guys on the roster were actually pretty happy that this happened to get Jordan Poole to shut the hell up. This is, again, this is who Draymond is. 
the Warriors use him as their sort of enforcer. He's known as like the quote heartbeat of the team. And this situation with Kevin Durant to me was different. This guy's a superstar. He's supposed to be this phenomenal player and he just kind of does his own thing, doesn't really hang out with the team. And this Warriors crew, they're they've been together really since the get-go of their careers and have done it together. They've gone on to win together. So that's to me that's the definition of what you want your team to look like in the NBA is the Warriors. Maybe subtract some of the crazy stuff that Draymond has done and said, but that's kind of the territory that you come into with with having Draymond Green on your roster because yeah, he's the heartbeat of the team, but he's also going to bring some of that I don't know if baggage is the right word, but some of that extra stuff that you just don't need. If you're going to get one thing, you're going to get the other. You have to take the good with the bad. That's just the way it is with Draymond Green, and there's no getting around it. I mean, and, and on top of that, in professional sports, these guys are around each other quite a bit, and in college sports for that matter. That's just the way it is. These guys practice together. They live together, and and sometimes the, the, they hang out together, especially in college, not so much in, in the pros. Usually guys go off and, and be with their families and do their own thing, but at least they'll go out to dinner and stuff like that together before games, etc. So these guys are together all the time. Tensions flare for whatever reason. That's the NBA I'm not really freaking out about it, but there is one thing I'll, I'll additionally say about Jordan Poole on top of what I already said regarding who I perceive him to be as a person, which is annoying and a douche. And uh, I don't know if I could say that, but I just said it. So yeah, Jordan Poole, not my type of guy. I don't really find myself in a scenario where I see that he is a guy I would want to spend a whole lot of time with. And I think we've all had a teammate or somebody around us like this, where it's like, will you just shut up? It was funny one time, and it maybe not wasn't even funny the first time. We're talking about your pool, because your name's Jordan Pool, and you're going to call it the Goat Pool because your first name's Jordan. Kind of okay, I guess. It's a play on words. Awesome. You get me to chuckle the first time, but if you keep going, it's just like, would you just stop? This isn't funny. You're being a moron. You're annoying the hell out of us. I think we've all been around somebody like that and in a physical sport like basketball. I mean, and with Draymond saying something like that to him and trying to get in his face and telling him to shut up and then Jordan Poole shoves him, that's when the fist is thrown. That's when the punch is thrown by by Draymond. So Jordan, I you know, honestly... I'm I'm caught between after seeing the video and and having a, a deeper understanding of of this situation. I'm honestly kind of caught between Draymond. Did you really need to punch him in the face? And Jordan, just shut up, would you? And if you need to be punched in the face, you need to be punched in the face. We'll figure it out later. I, I I'm caught between those things. Probably leaning toward the latter, if I'm being quite honest. And on top of that. Draymond's up for a contract extension, a hopeful contract extension here soon, too. So it probably just annoys him to the utmost at that point. I see how this escalates. You know, I'd like to think that I'm a cool, calm, collected guy, but I have been in scenarios where it's just like, you are being a moron. I am sick of you. Would you shut up? Obnoxious people drive me crazy. So I had that happen a few times in in high school. That's for sure. Uh, and in regards to the Warriors, this is not... I've seen people, the hot take people say, Oh, this is the end of the Warriors. This is where they fall off. Really? They've been atop the league for 
seven, eight years now. This is where it falls off. This is what does them in. Kevin Durant doesn't do them in. Jordan Poole does. And Draymond Green does. Draymond has been around there for, what, like 10 years? Okay. I doubt it. Also seen, oh, this test Steph Curry's leadership. He won't be able... Really? He's led them to, what, five championship appearances and three titles? Or, or six championship appearances and four titles in the last seven years? This, this is, yep, a fight before the season starts. This is, oh, I, I, this is where it falls apart? No, it's not. If it really escalates to a point, what they're going to do is move off Jordan Poole. Somebody else can have that headache. We'll bring in somebody else, pay somebody else that wants to be part of this and win some more championships with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, two of the greatest shooters of all time, who just won a championship. You think this is going to do them in? No, it's not. No, it's not. All right, that's going to do it for this first segment here on Corn Stocks and Sports Talk. Don't go anywhere. We got Randy Reinhardt from the Pantograph in Bloomington, Illinois, coming up on this next segment, previewing that homecoming game between UNI and the Illinois State Redbirds. So stay right here on AM950 KOEL and KOEL.com for more Corn Stocks and Sports Talk. UNI looking to grab their third victory in a row this homecoming weekend in Cedar Falls. In order to do that, they'll need to get past the Redbirds of Illinois State. On to, on to preview the game with us now on Corn Stocks and Sports Talk on AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com is Randy Reinhardt from the Pantograph in Normal, Illinois. He covers the Redbird football team. Randy, Redbirds coming off a close loss to Southern Illinois. Do you think that may have helped the team's confidence that, that they can compete with a team that's in the top 25 like uh, like an SIU? And you and I kind of uh, approaching that point uh, in this season now with two wins in a row. Yeah, yes, I do. Even though uh, it was a really a, a heartbreaking loss the way it, it went down on the last drive with a uh, fairly obvious uh, pass interference call not being made uh, that the Redbirds uh, might have been able to go ahead there in the last minute, but yes, um, I think the, the first three games uh, really went how you would expect it. Uh, Redbirds were not going to beat Wisconsin up there. Uh, They should have beaten Valparaiso and they should have beaten Eastern Illinois and they did. So this was really the first game where it it was basically uh, a a toss up where either team could, could win it. And um, so, yeah, in in that way, I I think it it probably does validate the, uh, their confidence that they are uh, capable of of playing with some of the best teams, and especially in the MVFC, that's that's really important. You know, coming off uh, conf- or excuse me, non-conference where they played, like you said, Wisconsin, uh, they fell thirty-eight to zero, and then uh, a close game against Valpo, ultimately pulled away against Eastern Illinois, who's not a very good football team, if we're being honest. Same question I put forth to, to Luke Martin last week when we were previewing UNI versus Indiana State. Does that make it difficult, this, this tr- total weird positioning in terms of non-conference play where they're blowing out teams and they get blown out? Does that make it difficult to evaluate where Illinois State is at right now? I, I think it it does in a way. Uh, it's It's just tough to... Um, to find those non-conference uh, FCS games that are even matchups, uh, uh, partially because the Valley is so good. 
Um, it's tough for the Valley to schedule those games. And there's just not that many other schools out there willing to uh, take on a Valley team in a, in a non-conference game. And of course, Illinois state has a longstanding rivalry with the Eastern Illinois and a whole uh, rivalry rivalry trophy involved. So that, that's going to stick around and, and I'm sure Eastern will, uh, you know, have their uh, ebbs and flows of being uh, more competitive than, than they are right now. But yeah, I, I think it's it, it does make it tough for Valley teams. You and I uh, was ranked last time these two teams played each other. I think the UNI fan base largely thought it was going to be a fairly easy win against Illinois State last year in normal. They uh, the Redbirds ad- end up beating UNI in an upset win. Do you think that factors into where the Illinois State team is? mentally coming into this one do you think they that and i mean we just talked about that southern illinois game being a more of a confidence builder for them do you think that win last year is is a factor into coming into the dome and playing against you and i and even though it's it's quite a bit different different especially offensively for the panthers this season yeah it it certainly helps but it, it seems like uh i don't have the exact numbers in front of me but it certainly seems like in this rivalry that uh, the Redbirds do have an edge uh, when they play in normal, and the Panthers certainly have an edge uh, in the Dome. Uh, the Dome is obviously a, a very tough place to play. Uh, Redbirds have won over the years uh, there, but n- not very often. So it's uh, when they go in there, um, they do do need to have a certain amount of confidence that they can go into that environment and come out with the win. And even though last year's game was here, that that does help, probably help a little bit. Looking at the the overall record, UNI is fourteen and four against Illinois State at home. Illinois State ten and nine at home. So there's your your record difference okay. between these two. UNI prior to last year had won three in a row against the Redbirds, 2018, 2019, and then 2020 um, by at least ten points or more, and then fell last season, 17-10 to the Redbirds. So. Again, looking to this year and and some of the differences between the team last year, the big one, I think, for Illinois State is Minnesota transfer at quarterback Zach Anikstad. Uh, He has appeared to be, I mean, I've watched some highlights. You can tell that dude played FBS football. That's what I've been able to tell. Uh, What can you tell us, uh, having been able to watch every down plus practice about Zach Anikstad and, and what he's brought to normal thus far? Yes, he, he's made a, a, a tremendous difference. It's, it's uh, uh, remarkable uh, in a way that the Redbirds did as well as they did last year without uh, a passing game. Their their passing numbers were were some of the worst in, in in the entire country in FCS last year. They they just couldn't pass the ball. But yeah, bringing Zach in, uh, he, he's an older guy. Uh, he he played at Minnesota. Um, he, he's, he became a leader right away, even before, uh, they started practice. Uh, coach Spack has talked about that numerous times that, um, even in, in, uh, over the summer, he was organizing receivers to go out, uh, to a park to, to play and throw passes. And he's, and as far as his skill set, he's, uh, uh, he's very accurate. He's a very accurate passer. Uh, he's got some poise in the pocket. Uh, I think what showed a little bit in the first couple of games was maybe his, I don't know if you want to call it rust, but he, he hadn't actually played, uh, for quite a while. It was 2018 when he actually 
was uh, the starter for seven games at Minnesota. And th- those first couple games, he, he threw a couple passes that he probably shouldn't have that were intercepted. But he, he has cleaned that up a, a little bit in the last couple games, and he has been quite uh, efficient. I was actually just going to ask about that. Five interceptions over those first three games. No picks last week against Southern Illinois, though. Uh, I suppose, I, I guess you just kind of addressed it, too. Is that just poor decision-making, like you said, getting the, getting the rust busted off a little bit, or, or what are you seeing there? Yeah, I think that that was a couple of times where there was some uh, a poor decision making. Uh, I, I think he uh, there were a couple of times where he looked like maybe a, a Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers type, where he's <laughs> so confident that he can make a play that uh, under stress and, and under a rush, he tries to do something that that he shouldn't do. And a, a couple of those times were picked off. Um, I think I think one of the interceptions was a good pass that was tipped. So you know you, you can never really. Uh, tell that in the actual stat sheet but uh yeah he, he does seem to have uh learned from that do you know when the last time illinois state had a quarterback as talented as zach anikstad uh that would probably take us back to the uh uh to the national championship game appearance with uh, uh trey roberson he was the uh transfer from indiana um he uh uh, the combination of him and, and Marshawn Copperich uh, just made that offense uh, uh, tremendous, and of course they made it to the to the title game that year. What year was that? Uh, let's see. That was it was the uh, 2014 season. Uh, the game was played in January of, of 2015, but it was the the 2014 season. Got it. So one last question regarding the Annex dad, because he is such a big name going into this one. Uh, what's he like in terms of his ability to run the football? Is he mobile? Yes, he is mobile. He is not a a sprinter. Um, I've seen faster uh, quarterbacks, but he does seem to have a good feel for when to leave the pocket, uh, when to take off. Uh, they do have some designed runs uh, in the in the playbook for him, so he's not merely a, a drop back passer. They uh, they will will run him uh, once in a while. Sounds quite a bit like Theo Day right there. Definitely not okay. a sprinter. Ran with it. <laughs> definitely. That's for sure. Uh, and in regards to the running game, in the past, we've seen some pretty talented running backs come out of normal, namely James Robinson. More, most recently is, is the name that I think a lot of UNI fans will recognize now with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, this appears to be more of a pass-heavy team based on the stats. Where's the running game for the Redbirds heading into this game? Well, they, they went into the season with a, a, a clear number one at tailback in uh, Cole Mueller, and he, he broke his uh, leg in the first half of the Wisconsin game. So uh, he's out for the season. Um, the next guy they turned to was uh, Winkers Wright, who was a uh, redshirt freshman, a really talented kid. Um, and then he hurt his shoulder in the first quarter of the Eastern Illinois game and did not play against Southern. Uh, it, he is back this week. Uh, he will start at tailback. Uh, I would guess he'll get the uh, the majority of the carries. And he's a, he's a big kid with good speed. And I think he's he's clearly their uh, their top back. And he'll uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him get a uh, uh, twenty some carries. Again, we're talking with Randy Reinhardt from the Pantograph in Normal, Illinois, previewing that UNI versus Illinois State football game this weekend for homecoming here on Cornstalk and Sports Talk on AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com. Let's flip to the defensive side of the ball. Zeke Vandenberg looks like a dude just based on his stats. Uh, Again, I haven't been able to dive into the film too much. Uh, He leads the team in tackles, 
with 44. He's got 10 and a half tackles for a loss, six sacks. What's going right for him? What does he bring to the table for, for Illinois State and their defense? Well, uh, Zeke is a kid who who has the um, has the measurables uh, to play in the NFL, and and that's something he he, he wants to do. Uh, I, I think both Zeke and uh, uh, Coach Spack have have pointed to uh, a meeting uh, in in Spack's office uh, maybe a, a year year and a half ago, where Zeke told him, "Ask well, what do I need to do to go to the next level?" And uh, Brock just told him, "You need to practice hard every day." And it was one of those situations where I don't think Zeke really realized that he wasn't practicing hard every single day, but Spax showed him some film and pointed out some things where he was taking some plays off in practice. And ever since then, I think that really sunk in and he, he, he is working hard all the, all the time. He was never a, a lazy in the first place, but I think there were just some isolated inc- incidents where the coach pointed out where he could improve and he's really taken that to heart. And he, you can see him even when there's downtime in practice, it's like, he's, he's working on his uh, pass rushing moves with a, a blocking dummy. He's, he's just always looking for something to, uh, to improve himself. And it, it's really shown he's, he's awfully hard to block uh, off the edge in, in the pass rush. And he's, and he's fast enough to, uh, uh, to pursue. And with that said, is it a combination of, of that strength? Is he a weight room warrior uh, strength and, uh, and technical stuff? Is it more so the physical gifts that, that are working for him, or is he putting it all together? Yeah, I think he's, he's always had the, the strength. Um, what uh, uh, Brock uh, pointed out this week when we talked about uh, Zeke was he's playing with a, a much quicker hands. He's 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 learned how to use his hands um, better and on his pass rush, and, and he's he's giving the uh, uh, opposing blockers uh, very little surface area as far as where he can be hit, where he can be pushed, uh, things like that. So he he's made a lot of uh, uh, technical improvements. I think has has really uh, uh, advanced him to that next level. Overall, in terms of the defense, it appears to be pretty balanced. Teams are, are putting up decent numbers on the ground and, and through the air, but nothing crazy against the, the Illinois State defense. Have they faced an offense like you and I has put together so far this season? And and, and do I have that evaluation right, that they, they seem to be a pretty balanced defense? Yeah, yeah, I would say they are. Uh, the secondary is, I, I would say it is a good secondary. They don't. Uh, usually play a, a whole lot of uh, press coverage. They're they're usually willing to give up some of the uh, shorter gains and, and make teams really um, mount uh, drives that that take up a, a lot of plays. Uh, but yes, I, I would say it's, it is a balanced defense. Uh, uh, of course, they did play you, you know somebody with with that type of skill in in, in Wisconsin. But since since then, uh, obviously Northern Iowa will, will be the, the best offense that they've that they've faced since then. But but then then again, Southern Illinois was is is not a bad offense at all either with the Baker and Cox and and that's that's a really good offense too. But you know, Northern Iowa is, is right up there, right? And scheme definitely factors in there when when we're talking about the quality of offense for UNI for sure. Bodie Reader coming in, Ryan Clanton, those two uh, pairing together for the offense. Last thing for you, Randy, before we let you go, um, I, I suppose. 
when you're looking at the MVFC as a whole right now, there are teams that are clearly at the bottom, like a Western Illinois teams that are clearly, clearly at the top, like an NDSU, like a South Dakota state and Illinois state and UNI appear to be in that middle of the road sort of spot for the MVFC. Do you see this being a close game uh, based surely on, on what we've seen so far from UNI from Illinois state uh, here in the dome this weekend for UNI's homecoming? Yeah, I, I think that's an, an, uh, an accurate uh, assessment of, of the league. You've got the two, uh, top teams uh, at the top. And then you're looking at, you know, maybe two or three more teams who are going to be in position for a playoff berth after those two teams. So those are those spots that that really need to be uh, achieved, I guess, uh, throughout the season. But um, I I do expect it to be a a close game on Saturday. The, uh, the one thing that really seems to, come into effect in the Unidome in games I've seen is, is, is just the momentum, uh, the momentum of playing there, the noise. If you make a couple mistakes, uh, you give UNI a, a pick six or a short field with a fumble, then a, a, a game can get away from you. But if, you, if you're able to avoid those type of mistakes and not let UNI really get rolling, then it is going to be a, a close game. All right. Looking forward to it. I'm sure we'll see each other there, Randy. I appreciate you hopping on. All right. Thanks, Elliot. Hey, go give him a follow before we go. It is at PG underscore Reinhardt on Twitter. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. We got that preview for Illinois versus Iowa, the battle of these two Midwest states happening this weekend. We have that preview coming up with Scott Ritchie from the News Gazette in Champaign, Illinois. So stay right here on AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com for more Cornstalks and Sports Talk. Iowa coming off a tough loss at home to the Michigan Wolverines last week. They'll be back traveling to Champaign, Illinois this weekend to take on the hot fighting Illini squad on to preview the game with us now on Cornstalks and Sports Talk on AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com is Scott Ritchie from the News Gazette in Champaign. Scott, fighting Illini, they're rolling four and one right now with three wins in a row of 21 plus points or more. What what has got this team uh, on the tear that they're on right now? I think you have to start with the defense and you know, it's a defense that's, you know, allowing just slightly more than eight points per game and, you know, hasn't given up a touchdown at home yet this season. Um, so kind of interesting with, you know, Iowa coming in with uh, an offense that has had its struggles, you know, what that, that might be, but it really is, you know, maybe defense first, but you know, one thing, you know, Brett Bielma, talked a lot about last year was you know trying to play complementary football and you know just between offense and defense special teams all phases didn't really get that uh, so much a year ago there's more of it now and I think you know, the fact that he made a change offensive coordinator after one year was uh, sort of telling you know in that regard but you know the offense is playing better under Barry Lunny Jr. Um, and you know hitting in the transfer portal for Tommy DeVito a quarterback has certainly helped but you know, the, the offense is giving the defense a little more help these days. Um, and But it really is. I mean, it starts with Ryan Walters' defense and, you know, defensive line that is sort of just you know, dominating the line of scrimmage, setting the tone there, and a secondary that has, you know, multiple playmakers, you know, behind them. So, like, they have the pieces. They've just 
it's just never really all come together very often for Illinois as a football program, but it seems to this year. And uh, obviously they're riding high you know, after a win at Wisconsin. Having grown up an Iowa fan, I, I definitely know that uh, things haven't quite come together for, for the Illini in quite a while. Uh, well, we'll get to that here, here in a second, but uh, the defense is the talk of the team for for Iowa. As you mentioned, Iowa, the uh, offense having its struggles, which is probably the understatement of the year uh, where it's <laughs> at right now uh, for for the uh, the the Iowa offenses is, is is rough. But from what I've seen, Illinois, it, it's got a nasty defense, too. You just mentioned it. Where is it at right now in matching up with the uh, atrocious Iowa offense? I mean, I think an Iowa offense that has not been very good so far this season is going to run into a problem with this defense. And um, Illinois has been particularly good against the run. I mean, just gave gave up two rushing yards to Wisconsin. And obviously there's some, you know, Graham Mertz taking a couple sacks here, affected that number, but, you know, Braylon Allen didn't do anything for the Badgers. And Chaz Malusi did just as much, which was basically nothing. Um, Iowa hasn't run the ball maybe as well as, they're used to, um, and I think a lot of that is they're you know facing more men in the box because the passing game is not effective. I mean, Spencer Petras is completing fifty five percent of his passes, you know, two picks, two touchdowns in five games. Like it's not there, so you can put eight, nine, if you want to get frisky, ten men in the box maybe against Iowa. And I'm not even sure Illinois needs to do that. You know, their defensive line has been. So strong, and it starts with Calvin Avery at nose tackle, and he doesn't have like huge, like countable stats, but he occupies multiple blockers, um, gets good push, and he's a that allows Keith Randolph and Johnny Newton on either side of him to make a ton of plays. And you don't often see defensive linemen, you know, at the top of like a team's tackles leaders, but Keith Randolph is number one, and Johnny Newton is tied for number two. Like those guys are making a ton of plays in the run game, and you know, on the back end, you know, the, Iowa does throw the ball. You know, Kendall Smith has – I'm not sure it matters anymore who plays free safety for Illinois in Ryan Alter's system because Kirby Joseph had a breakout year a year ago, ended up with five picks and got drafted in the third round. Kendall Smith didn't make it off, like, was essentially the practice squad until late last year, which was his fifth year with the team, comes back um, – because he redshirted and has a COVID year, and now he's starting. He's got three picks. Like, so that free safety spot, I think, just is set up where they can be a ball hawk, and he has certainly um, gone after it. Uh, so I was got a pretty stiff challenge, I think, you know, coming up on Saturday. I was actually just going to mention all four of those names that you just hit. I was going to say, I bet these guys are just licking their chops going into this game. Yeah, and it's you know Keith Randolph, Johnny Newton, like. You know, Brett Bielma came up, coined the, the nickname last year as the law firm of Newton and Randolph, or Randolph <laughs> and Newton, just depending on you know who you want to list first. But like they're they're those guys have some fun with it, and you know, but like they play off each other. Like you know, Giant Newton had a huge game at Indiana, and then on the bus ride home, Keith was like, after was like, so what'd you do here? What'd you do here? Like I gotta get my numbers now. Like they they're a really good compliment to each other. Just they're friends, but they also. They want to beat each other out, and like, and given the opportunity to go after Spencer Petrus or you know whatever Iowa running back, like they're going to be a constant presence in the backfield. 
Again, we're talking with Scott Ritchie from the News Gazette in Champaign, Illinois, previewing that Iowa versus Illinois game happening this weekend. We're doing that here on Corn Stocks and Sports Talk on AM950, KOEL, and KOEL.com. Another question for you regarding this Iowa defense offense, the, the difference between these two teams. Have the Fighting Illini faced a defense like Iowa this season? Because it doesn't appear that, that the Badgers are are anywhere near that at this point in time. I say I, everyone would have thought Wisconsin would be, but you know, it turns out you know, maybe not. They're not quite as good as they have been. And, you know, even then, you know, Wisconsin kind of was able to slow down Chase Brown you know, through, you know, two plus quarters. Then he you know, broke loose for a 49 yard touchdown and you know, just had himself another hundred dirty game. Uh, you know, the Iowa defense for all of its offenses faults, the defense has been good. Like I think Illinois is maybe first in scoring defense and Iowa's third, like points uh, could be at a premium on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, either team, you know, if they got to 20 plus, I think that's probably a good showing. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what Illinois' offense can do. I think they're feeling pretty good about themselves because even if Wisconsin's down to do what they did against them in Madison, I think it's just a, a nice little bit of confidence. And I mean, Chase Brown. He's got six straight games dating back to the regular season finale last year where he's topped 100 yards. Um, he's leading the nation right now in rushing I mean, by two yards, but he's still number one. And I, he's going to get his. And I think it could come down to how if Tom, if Tommy DeBito can be the consistent quarterback he's been through you know, the, the start of the season where you know, he's completing a really high percentage of his passes. He's not forcing things. And – you know, they're they're still able to move the ball pretty well through the air. If they can get what they've gotten through, you know, the games so far this season, I think that's maybe all they're going to need. Um, as long as the defense, you know, keeps playing at, at such a high level, that's definitely an advantage for the the Fighting Illini is is not forcing passes because what Iowa's defense does is create turnovers just ask Cooper to and I don't know if you've been able to see much of that this season yep. the Iowa defense and how they're able to turn the ball over specifically DeGene and a few of these other guys uh it's the Iowa defense is full of ball hawks so so if DeVito can can do that and continue to make the smart passes not force anything ah, the Iowa might uh, I'm, I'm not going to say they're going to allow the most points they have all season coming off that loss to Michigan but it it may very well get ugly. Yeah, and I mean, Illinois had some turnover trouble at Indiana and then home against Virginia. I mean, nine turnovers between those two games combined. Then they kind of may realize, can't do that. So really kind of controlled that better against Chattanooga um, and Wisconsin. Um, but I think one of the staples of Barry Lunny's offense is you know, a lot of, you know, bubble screens, slant passes, you know, short, easy completions that Tommy DeVito can make that put, you know, Illinois' wide receivers in space. And if you got like a guy like Isaiah Williams, give him a little bit of room, he can turn a screen pass into a 25-yard gain just because he's one of, if not you know, the, the best athletes on the team. So they don't have to force the ball downfield to be successful. And they're starting to work in, you know, a little bit more, you know, of the vertical passing game, Pat Bryant's been important in that uh, at wide receiver, but they don't have to do it and might not want to do it. Like you mentioned, I was got a secondary that is uh, prone to jumping routes and 
winning 50-50 balls and just they're going to take it away if you give them the opportunity. So don't give them the opportunity. Now, we talked a little bit about that win against the Badgers on Wednesday, our, our show Wednesday here on Corn Stocks and Sports Talk on AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com about Paul Christ being fired after this, this loss and how it relates to Iowa. But I didn't really get into it too much for Illinois. Uh, do you think these guys for, for the fighting Illini really took pride in that win last weekend? Was it was it sort of uh, we're doing this for, for Coach Bielema kind of game? I mean, not too much, and mostly because Brett Bielma tried to downplay, you know, his role in that as much as possible. I mean, obviously he had a successful run at Wisconsin, and it was there for a number of years, but, you know, he really tried to make it about the team. And, you know, the bigger thing for him, for the team, is like they hadn't won in Madison in 20 years. Like, there's a good number of players on the team that weren't born yet the last time Illinois won at Wisconsin. Um so I think that was the maybe the tipping point. Like they understood that that was something, and they made a little bit of Illinois football history. Um, so I think they, I mean, they all knew. Like Brett Bielma, you know, was you know Big Ten championship caliber coach at Wisconsin, but um, I'm not sure how much that you know, served as motivation. Now, in regards to Bielema and his relationship with the players, maybe disconnect from this this win from last week. Is is it is he liked loved by by his team there there in Champaign? I think so. And just the way it's not just him; it's his whole staff. And the way the players talk about it is that they have this sense of confidence that I think you know, the staff has instilled in them. Just because there's a belief from the staff is like, okay, we put you guys in the right position to do this. Like, you have the talent, you have the ability, the skill. Um, you just have to execute. And I think, you know, as they've seen positive results that has grown, um, just even a, a guy like Calvin Avery at, at No Sackle came in in 2018 as Elmo's top ranked recruit, you know, a huge win on the recruiting trail for Lovey Smith. And then you know, we played four years and didn't do much. But, you know, this coaching staff has unlocked something in him, you know, a belief in himself that, you know, he can be that kind of disruptor you know up front that you know he's playing as well as he's ever played um so i think that's a, a big part of it is like like the players have this feeling it's like the coaches believe in them to you know execute and to play good football last question for you scott before we let you go illinois they've lost eight in a row to iowa winning just one of the last 14 matchups why is this weekend going to be different for the fighting illini I mean, before this crazy season had happened, I, I wouldn't have said it necessarily would have been. But then I watched Illinois win at Madison for the first time in two decades. I mean, like I was a sophomore in high school when that happened. <laughs> and that was, uh, unfortunately, a, a long time ago. Um, I And just, this is a different Illinois team. I've had to recalibrate my own thoughts on this team um, just because of the way they've played. And the defense has been better than I expected because they had some holes to fill. You know, they lost several starters and, you know, you wonder is the next guy up going to be you know, able to fill that role? And then the offense with a new coordinator is like, I've seen a lot of bad Illinois offense over the last several years. Like, could it be different enough? And at least right now, the answer to all of that's like, yes, it is different enough. So, I mean, the last time Illinois beat Iowa, it was in Champaign. 
but it was 2008. So uh, I was still in college. Again, it's been a long time since something like that has happened. Um, but I, like we all, our whole staff does picks every week for um, the Illinois game. And like, I'm picking Illinois to win because they're just at this point, I think a better team than Iowa. You were in college. I was in fifth grade. It's been a hot <laughs> second. It's been it's been it's been a little while. Okay. Uh, so that game happening this weekend in Champaign, Iowa versus Illinois. That'll be a fun one. Scott Ritchie from the News Gazette in Champaign joining us today on Cornstalks and Sports Talk. He's at SR Ritchie on Twitter. Scott, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. And that'll do it for this week's episode of Corn Stocks and Sports Talk on this October Saturday morning. Thanks so much for tuning in, folks. Don't forget, before you go, make sure you subscribe or follow, depending on where you're listening to this podcast. Subscribe on YouTube as well for those guest segments. You can see videos of us going back and forth there. That's Elliot Clough on YouTube. If you want more Iowa-based content and higher quality content, make sure you leave that rate and review on Apple Podcasts as well and anywhere else you're listening that does truly help us out a lot so once again folks my name is Elliot Clough at Elliot Clough on Twitter I'm a UNI insider for Town Square Media you can follow me and follow along for UNI updates today at that homecoming game against the Redbirds and this was another week's episode of Corn Stocks and Sports Talk